0: Life point. I got to get, I, good, morning. good morning. I mean, spring has sprung finally, right? I tried to dress that way this morning with my Hawaiian shirt and my uh, Hawaiian. Uh, Star Wars vans okay just to kind of spruce things up for us but let me get you posted because you know at LifePoint we're really into health we got a healthy food out there for after uh, our, our service there this morning but I've been on the Daniel plant as you know probably for about six weeks now I don't know I'm down to 21 pounds just eating clean food so let me encourage us to eat healthy, okay, because God's given us this temple, and he wants us to take care of it. Like Therese said, we are in a series called The Tunnel of Chaos, and I started this thing out by just, in essence, saying that you and I, if we're going to get through the storms of life, that we need to be grounded in truth. It's what you know that gets you through, and then the last several weeks, Pastor Doug has been kind of theologically helping us understand that this whole theology of suffering. And, and the second week, he he in essence said that everybody suffers, but Christians suffer best because God is sovereign over it. And he controls the whole process. The, sa- the, the third week, Doug shared with us that that um, ca- suffering produces suffering. Um, Endurance, and endurance' final result is hope. And hope isn't just this inner confident feeling. It's really in a person, Jesus. And he uses it to develop character in our life. And then last week, Doug mentioned the fact that God is a loving God, okay, that he cares for us. As I would like to put, as I would put it, it would be like this, that that our Father, everything is Father-filtered. And he doesn't allow anything to come into our life as a loving father that isn't for the glory of God and isn't for the good of others. Today, we are gonna start taking steps. I'm gonna give you biblical steps. I'm not gonna talk psychology. I'm gonna talk about bibliology, okay? Biblical steps of walking through a tunnel of chaos. So I want you to take good notes. I want you to be thinking of others that you as, you as a member of God's family, that you could be used by him to help other people in our community that's going through this. If you think about it, the most influential events in your life you didn't see coming, did you? They caught you by surprise. They blindsided you. They hit you out of the blue. And these events that hit you by surprise, that came out of nowhere, you can't, go th- you, you can't go around them, you can't go over them, you can't bypass them. The only thing that you can do is go through them. Like Pastor Doug shared several weeks ago, uh, we all live in a broken world. We all suffer losses. In fact, we all suffer losses every day of our life. And so we need to learn biblically how to get through tunnels of chaos. You see, I just lost my notes. Okay, there we go. <laughs> and because everyone goes through them, take a look at this verse in Ecclesiastes 9, in verse 12. People can never predict when hard times might come. Like fish in a net and birds in a snare, people are often caught by sudden tragedy. You see, things happen, don't they? And when they do, you and I go through what I call a tunnel of chaos, where your worldview just flips upside down and you are paralyzed, you are confused, you are in shock, where your heart is breaking and you grieve and there is sorrow, where your mind is confused and you're struggling with all kinds of questions, this, this will lead you to surrender. Where you have to begin submitting your will to a new reality that God has for you. Where your character in the process is being transformed and changed into the image of Christ. And where you begin to see how God wants to use this chaos, this tunnel of chaos that in your life to help and serve other people. Everybody goes through it. Take a look at Ecclesiastes 9, verse, verse 12. People can never predict when hard times might come, like fish in a net or birds in a snare. People are often caught by sudden tragedy. You see, things happen, and the first thing that happens when you step into a tunnel of chaos is that your worldview just turns upside down. Everybody experiences it. Jeremiah. Often known as the weeping prophet, said, A horrible and shocking thing has happened. Ezekiel said, I sat for seven days shocked at what had happened to me. In other words, when it happens, you're paralyzed, you can't move. Isaiah said, I'm in terrible pain, I'm shocked, and I heard so much that I can't hear or see. My head spins early evening, my favorite time, that's TV time for most of us, right, has become a nightmare. It's a, he's saying, you know what, I'm shocked and I can't think right. My head is spinning. David in Psalms 143 said this, I'm in total darkness as someone long dead. My heart is heavy and I feel numb all over. He's talking about being in shock. I can't feel a thing. You see, these guys were experiencing what I call the first step, the first phase in this tunnel of chaos where their worldview is changing and they're in shock. What I know about you and I in this room right today is that you and I are in one of three conditions. One, we either know people who are going through the tunnel of chaos or number two, we are personally going through the tunnel of chaos or if you're in neither of those, A tunnel of chaos is heading your way, and you don't realize it. And that chaos may be a financial chaos. It may be a health, emotional, spiritual, physical, relational. It really doesn't matter. But a chaos, a tunnel of chaos is heading your way. Today what I want to do is I want to speak to all three groups to those of us who know someone who are going through a tunnel of chaos, here's my goal for you in this series. I want to prepare you to be the body of Christ, to be the eyes, the ears, the hands, the feet, the arms of Christ, because I want you to understand this. Do you remember Easter? This past Easter, okay, we talked about what it really means to believe in Jesus. And at the end of the time, we brought the cross. We had the tomb over there. We brought the cross. And on that Easter Sunday, that Easter weekend, we saw 238 people drop Jesus from their heads to their heart. But there were about 2,000 other people. These are their cards. When I got home from Easter services, just to encourage myself, I was beat. I went through every card, and I rejoiced for those who dropped Jesus from their heads to their heart, 238, something like that, but then I truly grieved over the hurt, the chaos that is going on in our community, biblically, as well as our larger community. Every one of these cards has a chaos, a crisis that they're going through. And I want you and I to be the body of Christ to our community, that we might live beyond the walls, that when we see pain, instead of avoiding it, we rush in and we minister. And then I want to talk to us who are in a tunnel of chaos right now. And then if you're in neither of those categories, I want to prepare you for one that's coming your way. So first, how do you and I help a friend in order to give them hope as they step into a tunnel of chaos. You may not be in a tunnel of chaos right now, but you may know someone who is. What do you do? Well, first thing that you and I need to do is we've got to reach out to them, okay? We, take a look at this verse out of Galatians 6, verse 2. By helping each other with your troubles, you truly obey the law of Christ. You see, what is he saying here? Simply this, that the law of Christ is serving your neighbor. It is helping those who are in pain. And the point that I want to make is this, that God wants to use your shock to bring salvation to somebody else. God wants to use your shock to bring God's saving grace to somebody else. God wants to use your shock to bring hope to somebody else. How do you do that? First thing is that you show up. You don't avoid them. You don't sit on the sidelines. You don't wait for an invitation. And I say that because oftentimes when you and I see somebody who is going through pain, and that may pain may be a job loss. It may be a relational loss. It may be an emotional struggle that they're going through. I, I don't know. But a lot of times what ha- when we see it, what we think is, I don't know what to say. So let me let you in on something. You don't have to say anything. Let me put this in a very polite way. You show up and you shut up. You don't worry about what to say because really you don't need to say anything. You just show up and you shut up. When Jesus was facing his darkest hour, the first thing that he solicited was not God. Do you realize that? He asked his disciples, can you hang with me and just be with me as I pray for the next hour? You see, what Jesus was practicing there was the, the, the presence or the, the ministry of presence. Folks, there is power just in presence. We all know the story of Job, Job the trials of Job. Take a look at this verse in Job chapter 2, verse 11. When Job's three friends heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. You see, that's what true friendship does. Notice that it says they set out. They didn't wait on the sidelines. They didn't wait for an invitation. They just set out. They said, you know what? We see that our friend is in great suffering right now and we're gonna go and be with him. I'll never forget about 11 years ago. My wife and I are on our way to Colorado for my sabbatical to get away, to get refreshed, renewed, to, to just allow God to uh, spiritually pump me up for the next following year, and I will never forget being between Wichita Falls and Amarillo, which is, by the way, the armpit of Texas, right? And I get a call from a staff member informing me that Aiden Scanlon seven-year-old at the time, had had a tragic accident in, in Broken Bow, Oklahoma, and that he was being careflighted to Dallas. And I can remember being in the car, I said, Cheryl, sure, we gotta pray for, for Aiden, because I knew Aiden. Aiden was, I don't know, he, I just call Aiden, Aiden was a, a, a Martin Luther at the age of five. I mean, he would come into my office, and he would have all these theological questions, and I'm going, where in the world does this kid get these things, Okay. I mean, he had deep insights in about God and theology. And so, obviously, my wife and I, we begin to pray for him. By the time we get to Amarillo, I get a K, I get a, call, a phone call from Kay Scanlon, his mom. says, George, pray. Uh, Aiden is in the Children's, I think, Children's Hospital in downtown Dallas, and it doesn't look good, and so we pray over the phone. As my wife and I continued to head to Colorado, we got to Colorado Springs that night and I got a phone call from, from Kay. She says, George, Aiden didn't make it. I can remember praying with Kay, hanging up, and I looked at my wife and said, Cheryl, we're going back to be with the Scandalins. And we drove back the next day, all day, and when I came into the house of the Scandalins, I didn't say a word I just came up, and I just hugged on him and I loved on him. Why? Because when you are in deep, deep pain, there aren't words that are adequate to meet the need. What they need is touch. That's what they need. When my father-in-law passed away, I don't know, a few years ago, about five years ago, He was 98 years old. He had lived a long time. And it really doesn't matter how long you live, right? When you lose a loved one, it's hard. And this is my wife's father. He's my father-in-law. I loved Wayne, okay? He was a little thorn in the flesh at times. Okay, I understand. But when he passed, our small group showed up. And my wife considers the men in our small group her spiritual brothers. And they didn't say a word. They just loved on her. Folks, there aren't words in those kinds of situations that would sink in even if you had them because the pain that you're going through at that moment is indescribable. And so what you do is you just shut up, you, you show up, you shut up, and you smother them with love. The second thing that you do with the friend to give them hope as they've entered into this tunnel of chaos is that you share their pain. Job chapter two, verse 12 and 13. Notice what Job's friends do. Then they saw him from a distance. They began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Have you ever sat with someone for a whole day and not said a word? I doubt it. And yet here, Job's friends sat for seven days and seven nights and didn't say one word. All they did was wept for him because they could see how great his suffering was. Now, I want you to get this point because I want you to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, the body of Christ for your friends who need hope. Will you write this down? The greater the grief, the fewer the words that are needed. You need to remember that. The greater the grief, the fewer the words that are needed. You see, you're going to run into people who have had, I don't know, a splinter go up their finger, okay? You can talk with them about five minutes about that. Now, maybe more of a major one is someone having a bad hair day in our culture, right? You talk with them about 30 minutes on the phone. But if someone has had a major loss in their life, You just be quiet and you be there and you share their pain. You see, this too is the ministry of presence. Paul summarized the second greatest commandment in Romans 12, 15, where he said you need to rejoice with those who rejoice and you weep with those who weep. When people are in pain, when they have entered into a tunnel of chaos and their world has turned upside down and their head is spinning and they're in shock and they are paralyzed, folks, there aren't words that would help them. What they need are tears. I know you've heard this saying, but folks, it's true. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. When I enter into situations like that, I could give you a dozen things that you could do and that you need to do to get through this tunnel of chaos, and we're going to discover those things over the next few weeks. But people don't want to know about what you know. They want to know that you care. They want to see your heart. They want to see that it's broken over the things that's breaking their heart at that time. And remember, when someone is in pain, their whole family is in pain. And so don't just address that one person who's in pain. I have seen situations where maybe someone has lost a job and it has put that family in peril financially and they're on the edge of bankruptcy. And I've seen people go up to the individual who's lost the job and says, you know what? I'm really sorry that you lost their job and their spouse was standing right next to them. You see, that is true in the body of Christ. That is true in the family. We are together. And when someone hurts, the whole body hurts. When, when one family member suffers, the whole family member suffers. And you and I need to realize that. And so you show up. You share their pain. And then the third thing that you do for a friend who's needing hope is this. You take the initiative. Take a look at Proverbs 3, verse 27. Verse 27. Whenever you possibly can, do good to those who need it. Do good means anything. It means run errands. It means make a meal. It means mow their grass. It means babysit. Do good means any practical thing that you can do for them, you do it. Look at Proverbs three twenty-seven again. Whenever you possibly can, do good to those who need it. Now let me tell you what not to do here. Don't say to somebody, as you see a practical need, don't say to someone who's experiencing a major loss, whether that loss is financial or vocational or relational or health or whatever it is, don't say to someone, just give me a call if you need anything. That is one of the most dumbest things that you can say because you just put the burden on them. Remember, their head is spinning. Remember, they're numb. They're not feeling anything. They are paralyzed. When you say, hey, just give me a call if you need anything, you have just put the burden on them to take the initiative. And by the way, there's another way that oftentimes that is said. How can I help you? It's the same way. Don't do that. What you want to do in that situation is you want to give them options. You know, I'm going to fix a meal for my family, and I'm going to fix a meal for you too. Do you want it Wednesday or Thursday? You give them options. You're at the grocery store. I know you got kids and you need milk, okay? And you probably need some cereal. What kind of cereal? Tricks, Captain Crunch, uh, you know, or something healthy. And by the way, milk. Is it whole milk or skim milk or is it that weird stuff like almond milk called silk? (laughs) You give them options, you make suggestions. Does that make sense? You don't ask them what they need. You just say, I'd like to do this for you, and by the way, I'm going to do it. Now, there's a whole lot more that we're gonna talk about in this series, and I want you to take some good notes. But initially, when someone has stepped into that tunnel of cast, your friend who's needing hope, these are the three things that you need to remember and you need to do. Now, for some of us, we're in the tunnel of chaos right now. For some of us, we're barely hanging on. You are here this morning, yes, but you're just going through the motions. May I just say this? I'm glad you're here. I really am. Because God has called this church to be the body of Christ for you and he has called this church not just to be the body of Christ to our larger community out there, to be disciples who are seeking to reach other people through Christ, through caring for them and sharing the gospel, but we are here as the body of Christ to minister to our very own. And so what do you do when you enter into a tunnel of chaos? Well, like I said, folks, I could give you a dozen things, and I will over the next several weeks. We're going to walk this thing through biblically, But today, I don't want to give you a laundry list. I want to give you two things. I want to give you two things that you need to do as you enter into a world change, okay? Uh, Enter into a tunnel of chaos. And I just want to give you two, because more than likely, you won't be able to remember more than these two things. And the first one is simply this, is that you need to cry out to God. This is the bare minimum. You cry out to God. Take a look at Psalms 50, verse 15. Call to me in your day of trouble, and I shall rescue you, and you will honor me. Do you see what he's saying here? He's saying that you and I actually honor God when we cry out to God in our pain. Why is that? It's because when you and I cry out to God, we are declaring our dependency on God. And when we declare our dependency on God, in essence, we are honoring God. God. Jeremiah, who's often known as the weeping prophet, wrote a book called Lamentations. And we're going to talk about that book in future messages, right? But, but Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. And Babylon has come in. The invading army has come in and taken God's people back to Babylon. And this is what he's experiencing. And he says, take a look at Je- Lamentations 2.19. Get up. Cry out in the night. Cry all through the night. Pour out your heart like water in prayer to the Lord. Lift up your hands in prayer to him. He's saying cry out in the night. He's saying cry out throughout all the night. Why? Because more than likely, when you step into a tunnel of chaos, you can't sleep. If you have ever stepped into a tunnel of chaos, you know that you don't sleep well if you sleep at all. You go to bed, you kind of fall asleep, you wake up. You go to bed, you fall asleep, you wake up. You go to bed, you fall asleep, you wake up. You don't sleep well if you sleep at all. And so what do you do when you can't sleep? You cry out to the Lord. God, I'm hurting. God, I'm sick. God, I'm worried. God, I'm frustrated. Is it too soon to mention helicopters? (laughs) And after helicopters, we had to suspend the Frisco multi-site. And I don't know about you, but hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I'm not saying those two things are as huge as losing a child. I'm not at all. But I can tell you this. I was up for the next three or four nights. I'd fall asleep, I'd wake up, and I'd go out into the family room, and I'd walk around and walk around, and I'd just cry out to God, until finally I had a day off three or four days later, and I sat down, because as I was walking, I was trying to identify the different emotions that I was feeling because of some disappointments, some little minor tunnels of chaos that I was going through, and you know what, I identified 20 different emotions. I wrote them down on the day that I spent time with God. I felt lonely, inadequate, depressed, miserable, guilt, ashamed, critical, skeptical, angry, frustrated, hurt, I even felt selfish, woe is me. Rejected, bewildered, confused, discouraged, helpless, insignificant, anxious, and embarrassed. I identified 20 emotions, and you know what I did in the middle of the night and on my day that I had with God, I just cried out to God every one of those emotions, and why? Because that's what God wants you to do it brings honor to god because you're declaring your dependence upon him and if you need music to help i don't know to get the emotions going i say this listen to music this is the first thing that you do the second thing that you do is that you let other people know when you're in shock i just want to say this you need to let other people know and you need to be easy on yourself. Whatever you do, don't be rough on yourself. Take, take. just be easy on yourself and accept, the, accept help from other people. And by the way, may I say this? When you enter into a tunnel of chaos, don't make major decisions if at all possible. Postpone them. You see, a lot of times, as I call it, when you and I are in the valley of despair, we're at the bottom, we can't see very far. We need to wait till we get to a different place, a higher place, so that we can see long range. And so be easy on yourself. Don't be making major decisions. Seek to postpone them, if at all possible. And accept the assistance of others. I remember when my father-in-law passed away, away. There's a member in our family that I look to as my spiritual, she's my spiritual sister. It's Marty Martin. If you know Marty Martin, Marty and I are tight. I mean, when it comes to family things, we have walked together with her family and my family together. She used to be my admin until I ran her away, okay, you know. But I love Marty. She is my sister from another mister, And don't think there's anything weird between Marty and I. The Martins and the Pfizers are pretty close. But when Wayne passed away, Marty came over to pray with Cheryl and I, because Wayne was going to be buried up in northwest Missouri, close to the family farm. And so we had a few days down here, and Marty showed up, as I knew she would. And she came, and she prayed with us. And after the prayer and kind of some visiting, I said, you know, I, I, I just need to get out of the house. I'm going to go to the grocery store and get some stuff. And Marty looked at me. No. I'm going to take you. No, I can do it. I just need to out and get out by myself. No. And if you know Marty, you don't argue with Marty. And so she took me to the store. Folks, that's what friends do. Take a look at Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. What he's saying there is that relationships are best in pain. A brother is born for adversity. You see, it's interesting to me, is it not, when when, when you are in shock, when you have entered into this world changing, and you don't think, you're not thinking correctly, and you're numb, who shows up and who doesn't show up? Now, in saying that, I just want to qualify something. Whatever you do, don't judge people who don't show up because they may be in their own pain. You see, this past week and a half, I had walking pneumonia. I came to the end on Tuesday. I didn't even know I had it. My wife says, George, you're sick. I'm taking you you to the doctors. We've waited long enough. I walk into the doctors. They take the x-ray, and they say, George... You have walking pneumonia. Your lung is filled up with water. It's affecting your liver right now. Now, my wife's a nurse. She sat on me like a huge rock. Boom! You're not going anywhere. Let me tell you what almost killed me being at the house for two days, sitting there. I'm telling you, it just drove me crazy. I was about ready to just die, okay? Cheryl wasn't gonna let me do a thing. So I got my iPad. George, what are you doing with that iPad? You're not working. No. Let me see it. No. You're going to have to get the FBI to crack it open. You see, my staff was emailing me who they knew about it, as did my prayer team, were emailing me the updates on what was going on in the church of people who were going in with heart attacks. And I wanted to be there for them. But Cheryl said no. No. And so whatever you do, don't judge people who don't show up. But realize this, true friends walk in when other people walk out. A brother is born for adversity and a friend loves at all times. And so let other people assist you. And I bring this up because our human reaction is to do the opposite. Our human reaction when you and I are hurting, when we are in pain, I don't care what kind of pain it is, relational, vocational, financial, whatever it is, is to isolate ourselves. Your natural reaction when you get laid off is you don't want to talk with anybody because you're afraid that they might think, oh, well, I wonder what you did wrong. Or you find out from the doctor that the report wasn't good. You don't call your friends. Or you have this miscarriage and you don't open up and tell people about it. Folks, it's our, our natural reaction when we go through some kind of tunnel of chaos that we like to isolate ourselves. And that is, that is the opposite of what you need to do. You see, when you are in shock, you need fellowship. In fact, right now, you may be going through some kind of tunnel of chaos. Right here in this church, may I just say this? Don't walk through it alone let someone know don't hold on to it don't keep it a secret folks we have all kinds of people and pastors in this church that would love to talk with you and help you walk through that tunnel of chaos but if you hold on to it if you keep it a secret that's not smart Today, I, we're going to start, you're going to see some stories, and I don't want you to miss this series, because you're going to see four individuals, four families, who have walked through a tunnel of chaos, and you're going to see their story develop over the next few weeks. And they were able to get through that tunnel because of community, of a biblical community. Let's start the stories. Let's take a look at this.
1: My name is Therese Casterline, and I lost my husband on August 8th of 2014 in a car accident. I'm Betty Evans, and I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Hi, my name is Clara, and about 10 years ago, I went through a divorce.
0: We are Scott and Rochelle Combest.
1: And we are the parents of a troubled teen. Danny Gokey has a song out right now called Tell Your Heart to Beat Again, and it starts with the word shattered. And that's how I felt like my life was after our accident. It was so orderly, I expected the way everything would go and suddenly that was gone. I didn't realize how much shock I was in. I couldn't cry for probably three weeks and it took me I'd say three months before it even really set in what had happened.
2: We felt deflated and confused.
0: We felt pretty devastated because we just felt like failures as parents even though we had tried so hard to do all the right things
2: our hopes and dreams for our son were shattered and i found myself leaning in closer to jesus but i felt like scott was pulling further away
1: when i was diagnosed with breast cancer i was shocked i was numb i was 39 years old and uh, i had a 16 year old and a 13 year old and my husband even asked the physician, are you sure you have the right woman? Uh, I, was, I was very shocked. I was devastated when I found out that my husband was having an affair, and I became depressed, but I had friends to rally around me at that time to help me. On August 8, 2014, my husband Rick and I were going to Possum Kingdom Lake. We were on Highway 380, and about to turn left on 281. When I woke up, I was laying on a table in the emergency room in Jacksboro Hospital. They had my phone and asked me if there was anyone I wanted to call, and they told me I had internal injuries and was being care flighted to John Peter Smith Hospital. I was in the hospital overnight before I woke up again to find out that my husband Rick had died. I. I think the hardest part for me was that I never saw him again and never got to say goodbye or tell him that I loved him. I was in the hospital for a week and then went home to plan a funeral. I remember my first night was the hardest and I was plagued with questions like why and what ifs. In the morning I just felt God speak very clearly to me and say, Therese, Rick was born on a certain day and he was going to die on a certain day. That was my will and nothing that you could have done would have changed that. And from that moment on, I have had peace with his death.
0: You see, Therese lost her husband through a car accident. Clara lost her marriage through her husband's infidelity. Scott and Rochelle had a troubled teen. Betty had a health issue, breast cancer. You see, life happens, and it hits us, it broadsides us, and it takes us by surprise. But what gets you and I through is a biblical community. Today, we're going to be the body of Christ to those who are going through a tunnel of chaos right now. And I don't know what your tunnel of chaos is. I do know that you're going through tunnels of chaos. And you need to know and understand that the church is here for you. And so I've asked my prayer team to come today. Prayer team, come on up. My prayer team and I, we've been praying for this church for 15 years. They're a little nervous because we typically just pray together in the parlor and we just let our hearts go. And so they have their prayers written out. But we wanna pray for you. And I don't know what you're going through, but if you're going through something, financial, vocational, health, mental, emotional, relational, whatever, I wanna ask you to stand. If you know of a friend, maybe it's not you, it's a family member, I want you to stand on their behalf because my prayer team is gonna pray for you. And so will you stand? If you're going through something, don't be ashamed. Stand up and we will pray for you with whatever you're going through. And as you see these different individuals stand, church, as we pray, will you be in agreement with us and pray for them as well? Buddy, go for it. Thank you, Lord, for meeting with us today. We love you and ask that you help us in the area of vocations. Father God, won't you meet the needs of every person here according to your will? We have brothers and sisters among us who are unemployed, underemployed, seeking job and career changes, and others who will soon be new to the job market looking for work after graduating from school. We come to you, Lord, because we trust you and have faith that you, Lord, are able to meet every need. We know that you are God, our provider. Lord Jesus, take away every fear and anxiety as we boldly ask for your help in this area of vocations.
3: Lord, we thank you that you have made us and know us intimately. We pray for those in our congregation and any of their loved ones who are suffering from any ailment, whether it be in body or mind. We know that you are the great physician able to heal and restore. We ask that your healing hand would be on all who need it. We pray that you would give your people wisdom to know how to best treat their illnesses and that you would give their doctors wisdom in diagnosing and treating them. Please give them strength and rest as only you can. Above all, Father, we pray that they will know you as Savior and have peace in the knowledge that their eternity is in your loving hands. We ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ.
1: Lord, for those of us now facing health situations where sickness and disease have ravaged our minds and our bodies and left us with no possibility for recovery, And for those of us who have been torn apart and broken by the death of a husband or a wife, for the parent of a child who was taken too soon, and for the child who is now orphaned because of the death of a parent, we pray today that you would minister to our broken hearts and wounded spirits. Comfort us in in our sickness and our grief and give us strength for the journey that lies ahead of us. Help us not to stumble in our faith, but to call out and hold on to Jesus
2: when life seems too hard to move forward. Lord, I pray for those that are struggling with financial problems. Those, Lord, who are self employed, give them the business, clients, and sales that they need to prosper in their businesses. Give them favor with customers they do business with and be glorified in the businesses they do. Um, Lord, for families that are struggling with their personal finances. Lord, I know that you love us and that it is your will that our needs be supplied. Our needs are important to you and you care for each of us with so much love. Work in lives where there is turmoil, confusion, and discouragement. With husbands and wives that need to come together in areas of decision, provide them answers and direction. Break down the walls where there is discord and bring harmony. For singles and single parents who are trying to provide for families, cause them to know that they are not alone. God, provide them answers and direction according to your word. Lord, this is your people and we believe that you care and that your compassion is for each of us as we look to you for your help. Wonderful
3: God, your love knows no end. You are relational and know that some of us, or some we love, are hurting from a painful or broken relationship. The causes are many. Misunderstanding, betrayal, rebellion, illness, mistreatment, disappointment, loss, or abandonment. You've been misunderstood, betrayed, and abandoned. You understand. We invite you to meet us in our pain, God. Show us how to treat one another as we want to be treated. Restore rest to our hearts and inhabit our relationships. We love you, Lord. Thank you.
0: And so, Lord, we come to you because you are our Heavenly Father. We know that you love us and that you care for us. We come to you and declare our dependence upon you and ask you, God, that you would work. That you would work in every life and every family that's standing right now for your glory and for their good. In your son's name we pray, amen. You can be seated. You see, what you and I need when we step into a tunnel of chaos is that we need a spiritual family to support us and to even pray for us because when those things come, like I said, your brain is numb. You don't think. And so you need other people even to pray for you. And so you need to be in community. Honestly, there are four different levels of fellowship that occur in true biblical community. There's the fellowship of sharing, which is needed, but it's, 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 it's the top level. It's where you come in and say, hey, how was your week? And you say, oh, well, my week was great. How was your week? And that's needed. But then the next deeper level is the fellowship of studying God's word, where you begin to come together spiritually, and you're, you're going deeper a little bit there. And then there's the fellowship of serving where you you choose a common event to to serve the community. Our, Our small group went to Haiti and we do other things in the community as well, but it's that shared experience where you're serving other and that's deeper. But the deepest level of all is the fellowship of suffering when you enter into the pain of another person. You see, those four components are absolutely essential For true biblical fellowship. And so I encourage you to be involved. Now, you're not in a tunnel of chaos, but I can tell you this one's coming. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I'm not. I'm just gonna give you hope. It's coming. If you remember correctly, I took my, valent, my, my wife on a Valentine's Day trip to the Caribbean, Haiti. And she went as the nurse uh, for the missions team. And if you know my wife, a nurse, she is prepared for anything. I mean, I had this suitcase that was breaking my back. We were, we were ready for earthquakes, tsunamis, you know, typhoid fever. You name it across the board, we, we were ready for it, okay? And sure enough, there were a couple of individuals that got dehydrated. And Cheryl had what was needed. They would come to me, do you have this? Oh, yeah, I've got it ready, okay? My question to you is this. Is there any way that you can be prepared for a tunnel of chaos, is there any way that you can be prepared for an emotional, vocational, financial, um, uh, 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 relational, health uh, crisis that comes into your life? Absolutely. You see, in my day and age, I bought those cheap watches that, that were called Timex. Okay, and on the back side of the Timex, it had this little phrase that said um, "shock resistant." They don't have that on those expensive watches. I went and looked this week. Okay, can I see the back of your watches? I really don't want to buy one because I have my iPhone. I don't need a watch anymore. Okay, and I flipped over uh, fossil watches and Geneva watches, and they didn't have shock resistant on there. They had like, this is watertight up to five atmospheres. I don't know. You know, folks, I want you to. I want to. I want to help you be shock resistant. I want you to be able to handle the shocks of life better than any other person in our community. And I don't say that so that it's an arrogant type thing. No, I want you to be prepared for the inevitable. Because what I experience in life is that oftentimes people are not prepared for the shocks. The, The worldview changes, and as a result, they don't make it. They walk away from their faith. They walk away from a biblical community. And so my question to you is, how do you improve your shock resistant? Well, you write down these two things. First of all, cultivate stronger relationships. God never intended for you to go through life alone. God created a spiritual family to support you. And that spiritual family is called the church. Your physical family isn't going to last forever, but I guarantee you this: your spiritual family will. As I like to say, grace is greater than genetics, and so you need to cultivate stronger relationships within the church. So, uh, and the best time to do that is before the crisis comes. The reason why, Therese, and Claire, and the Combes and Betty were able. To walk through this crisis as you will see their stories develop was because of biblical community take a look at ecclesiastes 4 two can accomplish more than twice as much as one and if one falls down the other can pull him up but if a man falls when he is alone he is in trouble one person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. And having, th- and having three is, be- is even better, the third being Jesus. For a triple-braided court is not easily broken. You see, if you're not in a biblical community, can I help you start one? You need to cultivate stronger relationships. The second thing is this. You need to grow spiritual roots. You need to grow spiritual roots so that when the heat is on, you don't get tossed to and fro like a tumbleweed blown by the winds of adversity, which means that you need to know God better and you need to know your Bible better. Jeremiah said this take a look at Jeremiah 17 blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence they're like trees planted along a river bank with roots that reach deep into the water such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried or worried by long months of drought their leaves stay green and they go right on producing delicious fruit you've got to put down some spiritual roots Have you ever been to Northern California to see the the great redwoods? They grow three to 500 feet tall. And what is interesting about these redwoods is that they don't have a lot of deep roots, to be really honest with you. And they don't have very many roots for a tree that's, I don't know, three to 500 feet tall. They don't even have a tap root. What they have are a lot of surface-type roots that go horizontal that interlink and interact with other great 300, 500-foot redwood trees. And what happens as a result of that is that when the winds of adversity come, because they're intertwined with one another, they hold each other up. The only reason they've discovered that a redwood would fall to the ground, in fact, take a look at this picture right here. Is it up there yet? There. If you look at it, they don't really have that many roots, and there's no taproot. What they have discovered, if it isn't as a result of disease, the reason why redwoods fall down is because they're not in the grove of trees. They're on the outer edge of it. And so when the winds of adversity come, they're not interconnected, and they fall over. Folks, what I want you to understand is that you have a giant grove of trees right here called Life Point Church. You need to be in the grove of trees. You need to be a member of of this church. You need to be a member of a biblical community that is practicing all four levels of fellowship so that when the winds of adversity come, you and they can hold each other up. Does that make sense? And so how does that start? It starts with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a lot about the gospel. But there are two things I would bring to our attention. And that is this. Because of Jesus Christ, his life, his his, his, yeah, his life, his burial, and his resurrection, the church was birthed. Because of the gospel, God knew that you and I couldn't make it. And so he came and he lived the perfect life and he birthed the church for us. And through the gospel, we have one other thing. We have the truth of God. You see, there are two questions that you and I oftentimes are faced with that we hear one more often than the other. And that is when a crisis hits, people say, well, how you feeling right now? And that's truly not the most appropriate question. The most appropriate question is how are you going to get through it? And the answer to that is the gospel. It is the truth of Jesus Christ. And so I don't know where you're at in your spiritual journey, but if you haven't dropped Jesus from your head to your heart, that's where it starts. Let's pray. Lord, today I just thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he was the complete embodiment of God himself, that as we look at Jesus, we see the Father's heart for us. think of Jesus when he found out about his friend Lazarus and how he just wept. When he saw the rich, rung ruler come to him, he looked on him, and before he said a word, he felt compassion for him. And God, as you look at our lives, and you see that we are but human, that we struggle with our humanity, living in a world that's broken, your heart breaks. And I thank you, Jesus, that you are willing to come to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to resurrect from the grave, to birth this spiritual family that's called church. I thank you for Life Point Church. I thank you for the truth that's shared in these walls. I thank you for the truth that's shared through your word mostly. God, may we be grounded in you and may we be grounded in your truth. Today, I don't know where you're at, but maybe you need to drop Jesus from your head to your heart because if you don't, honestly, I don't know how you're gonna make it. If you haven't done that, will you just say this in the quietness of your heart, God, I admit, I've blown it. I have sought to live independently of you. I've known a few things about you. I, I, I know where you were born. I know what date that occurred. I know that you resurrected from the grave, but God, I don't have a relationship with you. And today, I want you to come inside of me. I believe that you lived, you died, you resurrected from the grave to prove that what you said, I could take to the bank. And so God, come into my life. Give me life, give me strength, give me roots in you, and give me roots in your family. And if you prayed that prayer as simple as it was, God heard you. Would you let me know? Would you just take that connection card that's in front of you, maybe give me the information that you feel comfortable with, write the letter A, circle it, saying I've accepted Jesus. And when I get those the first part of the week, I'll contact you. And so God, we come to you now. Work in us, we wanna be your people. We wanna have, we wanna be people of hope and we wanna give hope to our community, to our friends, to people within the walls. God, we wanna be Christ for everyone. And so work. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and continue in our worship by giving back to the Lord.